Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. You may be seated. Wow, do we serve a great God? Say amen if you believe that. That was incredible. That really, really was. Well, this morning we are in week two of our series called Are We There Yet? Where it's not just the title of a sermon series. Uh, Are We There Yet? is really talking about this road trip metaphor that means life. I just want to kind of see who's here today. Who loves a good road trip? Who loves a good road trip? Who would rather be on a road trip right now rather than being here? Do not raise your hand, people. (laughs) Caught you. Caught you. You're busted, all of you. Just kidding. Hey, I love a good road trip too. Here's what I know about all of us when it comes to life. Some of us, we we burn like three different types of fuel, three different types of fuel. Stick with me. Some of you know nothing about this. Some of you do. Some of you will correct me afterward, and that's okay. I'm all right with all these solutions. Some of us are like diesel fuel. It burns more efficient than gasoline. As a matter of fact, it it rests itself being on efficient, on efficient uh, source of fuel. Some of us burn like that. It's just like a long-lasting burn. Some of us are like gasoline, not as efficient as diesel fuel. But we burn and we burn and we burn, and yet it's, it's just so common because everybody seems to operate on gasoline, and you get where you want to get, uh, and, and you just do that because that's just the normal course of life. And yet some of us burn like jet fuel. Jet fuel, baby. Jet fuel. That's how some of us burn. Like rocket fuel even, it's just like we burn fast and we burn fast and then all of a sudden we got nothing left. It was exciting, but it only lasted a couple seconds and then we got nothing left. Here's the thing I know about all of us. We all tend to either run on diesel fuel, gasoline, or rocket fuel, but we all run on empty at times. We all do. We all run fast at times, and some of us are efficient, some of us not so much. Some of us just kind of go through life without any real significant thing brought to our attention, but all of us can tend to run on empty. I know it's true. You know it's true. And I just want you to know, whether you're in the room or whether you're tuning in online, I just want you to know that if you're running on empty today, your tank is going to be full. I believe. I've been praying that God would fill your tank today. I also believe that if some of you, maybe you've been operating under your own strength, you're going to find this this great place is called emptiness. And once you get to the place of emptiness and you get to the part of like, I can't do this. I don't have answers to the problems. I don't have any more energy. I don't have connections. I don't have money. Once you get to that place, there's some beautiful things that happens because then our minds and our hearts can actually allocate the power of heaven. We're going to talk about that today. The passage of scripture that we're going to look into, seven short verses, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. We're going to see a woman who, uh, her and her, her, her sons, they're in a dire situation to where she's out of answers. There's no solution. She'd been doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, her husband was, uh, was a man of God in service to God, and yet he's passed away, and now she's looking at the rest of her life, and she's out of answers. She's out of money. She needs a solution. She needs God to show up in a mighty way. And God does show up. Heard a story about a a man who was 
driving on a long stretch of road. He was in the middle of nowhere. We'll just call it Kansas, because if you've been through Kansas, you know that's true. Doesn't matter where in Kansas. It's nowhere in Kansas, sorry. If you're from Kansas, I love you, but Kansas, seriously, let's be honest. We'll say he's in the middle of nowhere. He's just driving down the road, and he suddenly realizes that he's running low on gas, gasoline. So he starts to panic, and then he looks up, and he, he hasn't seen any gas stations in sight, but then all of a sudden, there's a sign that reads, Last Chance Gas Station. And he's like, oh, he's so relieved. So he pulls over to the Last Chance Gas Station, and he's filling up his tank, and he noticed that the attendant inside of the gas station is laughing at him. And he's like, he, he's like, why is he laughing? Do I have like toilet paper hanging from my pants? I'm like, what's going on here? Why is he laughing? Some of you have been there. Some of you laughed at the person who's had that, that happen. But that's another message for another day. So the attendant's laughing at the, at the guy pumping gas. And the guy pumping gas, he goes in there and he says, why in the world, you, what is so funny? You're like, you're laughing at me. He said, sir, he's like, no offense. But any time somebody says no offense, you know they're going to be offended next, by the way. It's, just so you know, he says, you know, no offense. He's like, but you're the fifth person in a row to fall for that sign. And he's like, oh, man, they got me. So we got fuel. He was a little, a little confused, a little frustrated at this guy. He gets back in his car, and he drives down, his, down the road to the next gas station. And it says, no, seriously, we're the real last chance gas station. Apparently, everybody can run low on gas. Everybody can run low on energy. Everybody can seem to just run low on life. And yet, when I look at the gospel message of Jesus, the very thing that he offers is life, and life to the, to the minimum. Is that what it is? It's life to the full. And I want us to lean hard into this passage, in, not just because it's, it's words in a book or collection that is an ancient writing and just a collection of ancient writings, but instead... It's the God who has an unfolding story in that day and also in our day. And I believe just as the, as the events in this storyline actually happen, I believe that there's a God who actually wants to move in your life. I believe this. And I hope you believe that. I just want you to know if you're here, whether in person or tuning in from somewhere else, I just want you to know that God loves you and that God loves He wants to hear from you. Like He's hearing from this widow. Verse 1, chapter 4, 2 Kings. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets called out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and each, as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Then all the jars, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. 
This is a great passage of scripture. I love to dig into the storyline of Elisha and Elijah. Prophets, they were two completely different types of prophets. Elijah, not in this passage, but, but Elisha's mentor, who was, he was the, the man of God, the prophet at the time. He was the, more of a prophet of fire. So he would just bring judgment to his enemy, and, and incredible miracles were done by the power of God through him. And yet, that was Elijah, but Elisha, not to confuse you, but Elisha in this passage, his miracles were more centered on helping people, on meeting people where they were and bringing about a miracle to help people in a dire situation when it seemed like that there was no hope, but yet the miracle would bring the hope of God to these people. And that's what we see in this passage. But in many ways, they could not be more different. I want to break this down into two different kind of categories, if you will. In this passage, verse 1 and 2, if you're filling in blanks, you're going to fill in this. No money, no problems. That is not a typo. I came up with that on my own. I know. I'm good like that. No money, no problems. This widow was the wife of a man in the company of the prophets. So he was a man of God. Good things happen to godly men and women in service to God, and bad things happen to good men and women in service to God. God does not give a preference one way or the other. It isn't like as if you become a Christian and all of a sudden everything about your life is awesome and everything is perfect and now you're just the pinnacle of perfection for your friends to see. That's not reality. As a matter of fact, the difference between Christian and non-Christian is you have God as a Christian. You have God walking you through your difficulties, where if you are not a Christian, you do not have God walking you through difficulties. This, this woman is left behind with her husband's debt, and she cries out to Elisha, the prophet of the people, and she says, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my Two boys as his slaves. She's in trouble. Big trouble. Doesn't quite know what to do. She's out of money. She's destitute. Now she's asking for Elisha to help her because she knows that Elisha has the ability to bring about the power of God through a miracle. So she's doing what she knows to do her husband was under the service of Elisha, and now she is going to Elisha and saying, hey, I've got a problem. I'm out of money. The creditors are knocking at the door, and they say that the only way that, that we can be made right financially is if they take my two sons as slaves and make them work the debt off of my deceased husband. God has a long history, thousands and thousands of years of moving on behalf of orphans and widows and other people who are downtrodden in society. He has a long storied and reputable history of helping people in this situation, which is what we see here. You see, in their time, 
They didn't have a big social system. There was no government structure to bail them out. There was no food stamps. There was no link cards. There was, there was none of that. A widow in their day, if she was truly a widow without someone to help care for her, she was dependent on somebody else's generosity and she was dependent on somebody else's kindness and somebody else's obedience to live, to eat, to have a home, to have a life. In some cultures, and even maybe in their culture, widows were, they were viewed with a sense of skepticism and people tended to maybe stay away from widows. Because they thought, oh, maybe there's, there's a reason why they're in the situation they're in. But yet God had a plan the whole time. In Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21, this is one of the plans that, that God had. It wasn't a governmental social structure to help people. This was just a cultural structure to help people in this situation. So Deuteronomy 24, 19 says this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, or that would be the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives, this is verse 20 and 21, when you beat the olives from the trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. So God gave instruction to God's people at the time to go through and to reap the first harvest, but don't don't be so stingy to go back through and get everything off of the trees and off the vines. Leave that for people who can't help themselves. Leave that so at least these people will have food to eat that they will be able to live. This was to be woven through the nation of Israel. This I I bring to your attention because the woman is in a situation and, and yet God has, he's always had a soft spot for people in this situation. There's other passages too. The sources are in your worship guide, but Deuteronomy 10, 18 says this, That he, meaning God, ensures the orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love for the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. James 1.27 from the New Testament says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The last, Psalm 68 verse 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God knows this woman and knows her sons, knows also of the injustice that's happening. The injustice is this. Her two sons, although it was a debt to be paid, her two sons should not have been brought into debt slavery. Because if her two sons were brought into debt slavery, she herself would have no means of income. So it wasn't right that you would take the man out of the home, which her sons were the men of the home, to care for her, which is a great and honorable thing to do. And they're wanting to, the, the, the creditors, they're just wanting to take the sons and throw them into slavery and then throw her into a situation that is even more dire than what she's in right now. So there's injustice there. And praise God that God saw her and he had a plan. Verse 3, if you're taking notes, the next thing you fill in the blank is this, no money, God's plan. 
No money, God's plan. Verse 3 through 7, once again, our main passage. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Do not ask, do not ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not another jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Then she went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Notice that God doesn't just give her enough to pay the bill. God also gives her more so she can live off of God's miracle. So not only was it to just satisfy the creditors, but also it was to provide for her family for the days to come. It's amazing how God works, isn't it? Have you ever seen the mighty hand of God move in your life? Have you? More than likely, if you've seen a powerful move of God in your life, it's because there's something in you that was empty that you waited for God to fill. You see, that's how, that's how God works. He wants us to confess and to acknowledge our brokenness and our emptiness before Him so that we can be filled by Him. He won't, he won't allow us just to be satisfied with with just superficial things and to live the rest of our life by our own means and our own methods. God loves us too much for that. He longs for us to have a better life than that. He's not just a God who just provides in the moment. He's a God who provides in the moment, and he also wants to bless you in the future. That's what we see in verse 7 of this passage. It wasn't just satisfying the creditors. Instead, God wanted to do over and above, which God has a long history of doing that too. This idea of being empty is is interesting because this, in some ways, what we see of Jesus as we read about him in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead of he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, there's a a doctrine within this passage in Philippians 2, and it's it's the doctrine of Christ self-emptying at his incarnation, at his coming, his first coming, coming to earth. And it's the term kenosis. And it simply means this, that Jesus emptied himself. He didn't let go of his deity, but instead he held on to his deity because he was God at all times. Amen? But yet he humbled himself and he came in the form of a slave or a servant, depending upon what your translation says, in Philippians 2. So he comes in this form, and so he, he, in some ways, he holds on to his deity, but he takes full form of our humanity. So he's setting aside the throne of heaven to become a servant on earth. Kenosis, the doctrine of his self-emptying. You could say it in this way in the New Living Translation, maybe says it even a little bit more clearly. 
he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his divine privileges. They continue, he veiled his glory and he chose to occupy the position even of a humble character working as a carpenter. You see, when we, when we go before God with an, with an emptiness of heart and we acknowledge God, say, God, I'm, I'm out of answers and I, don't, I, I can't white knuckle this anymore and I'm tired and, and I'm out of money and I'm out of energy and I'm out of solutions. I've got more problems than what I have solutions. When we go to God with, a, with an openness of, car, of heart, God sees us and he knows us and he responds in such a kind and generous way. This is what God longs to see in our life when we go before him and this is really the hope of the gospel that not that we go to God filled but we go to God empty so he can be fulfilling in us oh church I I want you to get this right today because if you get this right today then not only are you going to be a blessing and not only is God going to bless you in your life he's also going to be a blessing through you to other people Notice, if you will, that the widow received the miracle, which was incredible. And the miracle happened behind closed doors, just her and her sons. But they all took part. I love that. They all took part. She's filling, and the sons are handing the jars and handing the jars. And and as soon as they ran out of jars, God shut off the oil. But some other people were blessed by the miracle even before the miracle happened. Who were they? They were the neighbors. Could you imagine this widow going through to all her neighbors, shaking down her neighbors, asking for empty jars, going through and be like, hey, do you have any empty jars? Uh, I think we have a couple. Why? What do you need need jars for? Oh, it's a long story, but I think God's going to do something incredible. And I don't know because the passage doesn't tell us us how many times that she said that. But if she said that once, God got glory for a miracle before the miracle even happened. Because that testimony lives out where she was dependent on other people. And God saw to it that that was going to be the case. That the miracle actually would happen through the generosity of others. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Maybe a cheesy example, but I, I thought about this, a way just to make this really simple. This passage that we were just looking at. If you were to leave the church when church is over, if you were to leave church and you were in need of milk, and you know that because you talked about it and you remarkably remembered all the way through church, and now you have to go to the store to get milk before you go home, and say you're going to leave church and you know you have to go get milk, you could, go to, you could leave the church, you could go to, to the store, and you could get milk and you could go home. And at the end, you'll have milk. Pretty simple so far, Right? Okay, not using math or anything difficult. You guys understand this. However, what if you were to leave church and you were to ask God, say, God, where do you want me to get the milk? Where do you want me to get the milk? Do you want me to go to Walmart? Do you want me to go to the old IGA? 
Do you want me to go to a convenience store? Do you want me to go to Kroger? Then all of a sudden, you're still going to get milk, but you're allowing God in the most simple of way to direct your paths. You're submitting to God not just your desire and what you want, but you're submitting not only you're telling God, you're inviting Him into what it is that you desire and what you need, but you're allowing Him to direct your path to get to what you need. How many times have, have you and I simply told God what we needed and we didn't actually sit long enough to get an answer? Or instead, maybe we don't even take that perspective. We take this perspective. When we pray, we, we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But instead, we say, Lord, listen, your servant is speaking. Those are two different things, aren't they? Many times I think we ask God to do what it is that just we want to do, and then we wonder why we're dissatisfied with God's plan for our life. And maybe the best part of us is not taking all of what we are and going to God and then asking God or anticipating God is just going to bless what we have, but maybe the best thing we can do is say, God, I have nothing. I'm at my lowest point. God, fill me. Fill me with hope. Fill me with peace. Fill me with energy. Fill me with finances. Fill me with whatever it is that you're longing for, whatever it is that you're empty of, and then watch God fill you And not only will he just fill you up and give you just enough, because he's not a God who just gives enough. He's a God of blessing, and he's a God of overflow. So maybe instead of praying those other types of prayers, what we need to go to God and ask him that he would just not allow us to be satisfied by worldly things. To boldly go to God and say, God, please empty me so I can be filled by you. God, let me not not just pursue my own direction for my life, but God, could you give me the direction for my life? God, allow me not to be satisfied with the comfort of this world and the belongings I have. God, I don't want to be comforted by those things, but instead going to God in prayer and saying, God, would you comfort me? I don't want to be comforted by these things. Allow me not to feel comfort in those things so much so that it gets in our our relationship. Or maybe the most bold, audacious prayer for you is say, God, I've been running my life on my own terms. Jesus, I'm turning away from, from that life that I've lived for a long time. I confess that my path is not as good as yours. I haven't, God, I haven't honored you in my path. But maybe what we need to do is just go to God and say, I'm sorry that I did that. And repent of those things that we've done. And allow him not to just allow us a U-turn, but a blessing that happens after that obedience. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, the fawn is going to be really fine, but this story is amazing. He writes this and speaks into what I'm talking about right now. It would would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infant joy 
is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think that sums up a lot of what goes on in our world today. Let's go back into verse 3. I'm going to pull out a couple principles. Things I think that we can rally around and, and things that we need to incorporate into our life perhaps. Notice the instruction that Elisha gives to the widow right at the beginning of verse 3. He says, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. The widow had to act in faith. She had to act in faith and by faith. She had to go out and get the jars before the miracle happened. She had to, and I'll I'll just use the, the terminology of the day, she had to be emptied so she could be filled. It's an interesting thing that it was just jars, something so simple but yet so common that God used to bring the miracle that existed in all their houses, probably exist in all of our houses. Something as simple as a jar, but yet it was the collection of jars. But she had to operate by faith because the size of the miracle hinged on the amount of faith and obedience that she took. Because if she would have gone out and only grabbed two different jars, it would have only been two jars that were full. So the size of faith required for her to go to all her neighbors and to get as many jars as she could was a hinge point as to the size of the miracle that God would perform. Because God said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. And again, don't you think they ask why? Like, sure, am I going to get them back? Don't you think they ask why? And yet God gets the glory for that. Second part of verse 3. Notice God's instruction. He says, don't just ask for a few. Don't just ask for a few. Don't be satisfied with, with something so small. Be bold. Trust God. Don't just ask for a few. Because the size of the miracle was directly related to her faith and obedience. Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says this, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I'll put this very simply with the backdrop of the passages that I've shared with you. Don't live small, dream big. Don't live small, dream big. Pray big, bold prayers to God. Watch Him answer them. And if He doesn't answer them in the exact way that, that you pray it, It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear you. It means that he has something better for you. 
You see, when we, when we are not satisfied with worldly things, but yet we're open vessels, allowing God to use us and to fill us and to bless us as he chooses, and we choose not to live small, but we, we live big, we dream big, and we, we do amazing things through the power of God, and we believe that God would move in our life, and when we have a life of faith like that, we just know that we have a divine safety net underneath us that we can't fail. Because we've gone to God and we've said, God, fill us because I, I, I don't have anything. I'm empty. I'm just an empty vessel waiting for you to fill. And then watch God do an amazing thing like that. Or the, the word picture that came to mind was if you've seen America's Got Talent or you've been to a circus or something, you see somebody on the trapeze, they're up doing crazy things, jumping around, swirling, swinging around, and then they have a safety net. And it's when they don't have a safety net, that's when I'm like, okay, you're crazy. Like, I don't even know what you're doing right there. But most of those people have a safety net underneath. It's like, just in case there's a safety net, just in case I didn't get it exactly right, there's a safety net. Just in case we didn't, that we missed that, that, that grip, uh, then, then there's a safety net. Just in case I do, you know, one and a half twist instead of a half twist or whatever the thing is, it's like, there's a safety net. There's a safety net of grace when we operate with an open heart before God. That although maybe we pray, and, and we were even having a conversation uh, within our home recently, of saying sometimes it's hard to discern the voice of God. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I hear the voice of God, it just sounds like my voice, and I'm like, did God really say that, or was that me? But if we go to God in prayer, and we ask God, say, God, I, I don't, I'm not really sure this is what I heard, but I don't want it to be me, and you're emptying yourself of yourself, and you're saying, God, I just want to be empty, that even if, you, even if you're a little bit off on what you heard, God is going to bless you, he's going to keep you, because there's a divine safety net because you surrendered yourself to him. It's when we jump out in stubborn rebellion against God, that's when God allows us to get out on a rope all by ourselves. And sadly, some of us have to face the consequences of that to then be empty. I'm trying to help us to circumvent all of that pain, all of that grief, and everything that happens after that. What we see in this passage with the neighbors offering up the jars is something that I've seen in my own life, and I'll tell you a story. When we moved to Dublin to take... Uh, I was taking my first pastorate there. We had one vehicle that we bought at Bob Ridings, and it was, we just knew that once we got to Dublin that we were going to need two vehicles because we just sensed that in that phase of ministry it was going to be too busy and we needed two vehicles. So we were, I don't know for how long, but we were praying for a season for a second vehicle. And then when the Lord was revealing to us that we were going to go to Dublin, we just knew that it was pretty urgent. One of the elders there, a godly man, he and his wife, Mike and Bonnie Sanders, amazing people, had correspondence with them or with Mike since we've been here, and just great people. And Mike asked us specifically, he said, hey, what is it that we could pray about for you? And it seemed, it seemed a little self-serving at the time, and I, I was a little bit bashful to even say it, but I was like, but it's what we were praying, and I believe it was just... It was in my heart to say, so I, I told Mike and Bonnie, I said, here's the thing. I said, we're moving here. We have one vehicle. We don't even know how God could do it or even know anything about it. Uh, maybe even get a good deal on, on, you know, on something. But 
I said, we're just praying for, that God would reveal to us a way to get another vehicle. He's like, we'll pray about it. I believe it was the next day. I believe it was a text message from Mike. And Mike said, the answer to your prayers is in our driveway. Come and get it. And we drove that Mitsubishi little used SUV, Mitsubishi Montero. We drove that thing for years until my son decided to wreck it into the side of the house and then get into another wreck with it, and we had to get rid of it. <laughs> but like the man that I am, I put it together with black duct tape. True story. Held the front of it on, and, but it lasted a lot of years. You see, I tell you that story to, to bring about the point from this. God uses our generosity and obedience as an answer to other people's prayers. God uses our generosity and obedience as an answer to other people's prayers. It was true in the time frame of Elisha with this poor widow and her sons in a dire situation, empty of solutions, and it's still true today. God still does this. And remarkably, and I praise God for him, Mike and Bonnie Sanders were a blessing to us. And every time I tell that story, God gets more glory and more glory and more glory. The size of the miracle that we see in this passage was directly related to the widow's faith and obedience. And yet, sometimes we have barriers to this. I'll tell you another story as I close. On October 14, 1947, a B-29 Super Fortress, looks like this picture right here. Amazing airplane. It took off from an airstrip in Southern California. Attached to the belly of this bomber was the Bell X-1, and this is a picture of the Bell X-1. Chuck Yeager was the pilot of the Bell X-1, as it's attached to the bottom of the B-29 Super Fortress, the plan was for Chuck Yeager to break the sound barrier in this Bell X-1. This Bell X-1 is actually suspended in Washington, D.C. at the Air and Space Museum. At the time, the assumption was, and all the aeronautical engineers at the time said that if any aircraft were actually to break the sound barrier, they thought that it would just disintegrate because of the pressure Affected, Because what they believed was because of uh, traveling that fast and just the pressure that was created on the, the front of the airplane, they thought that, or, or jet or whatever it was, they thought that that pressure would just cause it to just disintegrate from front to back as it pursued that envelope of 761 miles an hour. Well, the Super Fortress let go of the Bell X-1. It was attached to the bottom. It let go of it. Chuck Yeager powered that X-1. And then it flew up to, I believe, about 40,000 feet. It, it accelerated to 500, 600, 700 miles an hour. And just before it broke the sound barrier, it was like 0.95 Mach. It was almost there. Chuck Yeager... His vision was blurry, his stomach was in knots, and he thought that the, he thought that the aeronautical engineers were right and that, it, that, it, that the airplane would 
implode. But just as he passed through the threshold of 761 miles an hour, breaking the speed of sound, and he broke through that threshold, once he had broke that threshold and the sonic boom happened, there was a sense of peace. There was a sense of calmness. Because now all the turbulence was actually behind. It was like an envelope, and he passed through the envelope. But they thought that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't be able to happen. They thought that he was surely going to die. And on that day, he broke the sound barrier. We could go back even before all this happened, and we could look at the Wright brothers, and we could see that they, they defied gravity at Kitty Hawk in North Carolina on December 3rd, 1903. Charles Lindbergh, he defied how long a plane could fly when he crossed the Atlantic. All of these were breakthroughs, but one breakthrough allowed the next breakthrough to happen. They had to learn how to fly. Chuck Yeager flew over the Atlantic, proving that it could happen. B-29 had to be built. The X-21 X had to be built. Each became, each was a barrier, but as those barriers were taken down, it allowed the next to happen. What I've been praying for the last couple of weeks about today's message is that if you have any barriers to your faith, that they'll be taken down. Because I believe that sometimes we have an artificial barrier within our faith. And the reason why we're not pursuing the greatness of God and the greatness even in our lives is because we've allowed Satan to hold us back and to create an artificial barrier. There's a passage of scripture that I want to end on. It's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you want to unlock the power of heaven in your life, don't try and operate under your own power. If you want to unlock the the power of heaven in your life, go to God as an empty vessel. If you want to unlock the power of heaven in your life, ask God to fill the empty vessel that is you with himself and watch him work. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord, we're so humbled and thankful for this example. This widow who believed that she would see a miracle and she did. She was empty. 
you filled. I believe that big faith brings big results. Lord Jesus, help us on this day to have big faith to help overcome the obstacles that we have allowed to get in the way. Help, Lord Jesus, that man or woman, young man, young woman, God, who just, it seems like their life is one big obstacle. God, give them the the courage, the know-how, that ability to empty themselves so they can be filled with hope and peace. God, for that person who's in the room and, and they've just been operating with their own fuel source, whether they were like the diesel and, you know, efficient, reliable, but maybe they're running on E. Lord Jesus, for the person who's just been running under just themselves, like gasoline in the example, it just is common because life is common, just going through the motions. And God, they're, they're on E. God, fill them. And God, for the person who seems to have a lot of energy but not as enough wisdom, their life has been rocket fuel. God, as they're emptied and they empty themselves, please fill them. God, do a work on this day. If there's someone in here who doesn't know you, God, Spirit of God, work. Fall heavy on us. Allow us a chance to respond with the trueness of heart. To just say, God, I'm empty. Please fill me. Amen.